I'd never worn so much steel. Blades had been strapped all over me, hidden in my boots, my inside pockets, and then there was the Illyrian blade down my back. Just a few hours ago, I'd known such overwhelming happiness after such horror and sorrow. Just a few hours ago, I'd been in his arms while he made love to me. And now, Resand, my mate and high lord and partner, stood beside me in the foyer, more and Asriel and Cassian, armed and ready in their scale-like armor, all of us too quiet. Amran said, The king of Highburn is old, Reese, Very old. Do not linger. A voice near my chest whispered, Hello, lovely, wicked liar. The two halves of the Book of Breathings, each part tucked into a different pocket. In one of them, the spell I was to say had been written out clearly. I hadn't dared speak it though I had read it a dozen times. We'll be in and out before you miss us, Rhysand said. Guard Valaris well. Amran studied my gloved hands and weapons. That cauldron, she said, makes the book seem harmless. If the spell fails, or if you cannot move it, then leave. I nodded. She surveyed us all again. Fly well. Welcome! Welcome! Welcome to the House of Wind Book Club. I'm Hannah. And I'm Amber. This is a fan podcast where we're going to discuss our current book obsession. We're going to break down chapters, characters, themes, and gossip about our theories relevant to the current fantasy land we're exploring. So, just so you know, this podcast will contain spoilers and is explicit, so proceed with caution if that's not your thing. We hope you enjoy being part of our book club. Stay smutty. (laughs) These are the vibes of this episode. (laughs) That's how I feel about this episode. Pure chaos. That sums it up pretty well. That sums it up Mm -hmm. well. Yes. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, we're also at the point where um, Hannah and I have just been, like, catching up for the past hour and a half. We are supposed to record at 6.30. It is now uh, 8.10. And mm-hmm. uh, we decided that we just need to press record. And uh, we've also been drinking wine that entire time, so. <laughs> I don't know how you talk shit with your best and you don't drink wine. I was going to be such a lady during this episode. I was going to be, like, demure and sipping on, like, one seltzer that seltzer is gone and i am now like an entire glass into wine past that seltzer (laughs) that's where we're at today yeah we were yeah we kind of went into a deep dive because i'm like i'm in the thick of wedding planning and i i am a very so if you guys haven't like picked up on this i'm a very like type b person i am pretty go with the flow I don't really plan a lot of stuff like super ahead of time. I'm very like, whatever happens, happens, you know, just, just let it happen. And um, I'm learning very quickly that wedding guests 
specifically over the age of 50 are not like that. And it's really <laughs> fucking annoying. <laughs> they don't I live understand. they don't live by the Kesara Sara mentality. <laughs> they don't. And now I understand why people are like, planning a wedding is hard. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why can't everyone just chill the fuck out? <laughs> So that's what we've been talking about the last hour. Honestly, I feel way better than I did when we started talking. It's probably good we did that because I was feeling a little spicy when we got into when we first got into talking. I just like ranted for like thirty five minutes. Yes. Listen, it's like a dragon. You have to let that fire out, baby, or it's just going to consume you from the inside out. Or we're going to pillage some villages and take all their riches and sit on them for years and years and years. Okay? We got to let it out so you don't do that. Got to let it out. Yes. So I'm like a wonderful combination of like super type B, but also like I don't deal with bullshit very well without speaking my mind and becoming a bitch myself. So I'm kind of in that boat right now. (laughs) That's where we are. We are saucy and spicy. We've had some... Had some wine. We're sauced. <laughs> We've had some weeks. We've had a week this week, so we're spiced. So we're spiced. <laughs> so we are going to spice our way right into chapters fifty-eight through sixty-one this week. Um, and just in case you guys forgot, you can get a free trial of Audible and a free first title by going to www.audibletrial.com/houseofwind. And we love Audible. Nothing more to say there, really. True that. True that. It's wonderful. Yes. Check out our Patreon. This week we released a video version of the beloved Chapter 55 <laughs> episode. <laughs> and tonight, after we record this, we're also recording a Q&A episode, especially for our Patreon listeners. So you can check that out as well later this month on Patreon. So we're going to hop into the episode now. Let's do it. So, last episode, Reese gets vulnerable and tells Farah his life story while she heats up a bowl of soup. Farah, in her beautiful way, makes Reese sweat a little, but ultimately she accepts the mating bond in like this super tender, like beautiful moment. And this leads to a magical night of earth shattering sex <laughs> and marathon of orgasms for our girl Farah. <laughs> uh, Faisan unfortunately has to return to the shitty human realm and reality to deal with the mortal queens who don't want to hand over their half of the book but luckily in a surprising turn of events the younger queen leaves the book behind so that our heroes can try and save Prithian that was a beautiful episode no wonder it was two hours long oh my god so much happened last episode also Okay, I want you all to DM us, okay, specifically females who are listening to this, which is most of you, Um, Mm -hmm. and tell me how many times is, like, your average, your average sexual encounter, how many times do you come, okay? (laughs) That is my only question, and that's as far as I'm going to go into that conversation, but I am very curious, we're because, curious. We want to do a case study. Yes, we do want to do a case study. And I don't really want, like, I don't want to bias you, but I also want to to validate everyone on here that it's not, it's not weird if you only come once. It's not 
weird if you come seven times. Like, it's every woman's body is entirely different, and every person's relationship uh, is entirely different. So, whatever number of times it is for you, that is entirely valid. We are not going to judge you in any way, shape, or form. I'm genuinely curious. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think in general, just like anytime we talk about sex on the pod, which is a lot, um, we definitely want to come at it as like, I mean, we obviously talk about our own experiences, but also in a very unbiased, like we're never judging or, you know, who who are we to say what is normal or what isn't, but we're just here to provide a, from our perspective, normal point of view. <laughs> to kind of bring us to reality a little bit in some of these situations. So we don't have yes. to go further on that, but yeah, we yeah, are no. curious. I am, I am, yeah. yeah. I am inherently like a genuinely curious person when it comes to like sex in general. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that kind of has something to do with my like love for smutty books, but I just am like, I'm never a, like, I will never be the one to shy away from a conversation about sex. So just let us know. I'm very curious. Yeah, I love that. Especially for me growing up, never, ever talking about sex. And then now I'm talking about it and I'm like, hmm, I don't really know what's normal because the only person I ever talk to about sex is you. So (laughs) even for me where I didn't, I mean, I I only got a little tiny sprinkling of that. Like I have a very different experience growing up, but, but even for me, like we all, all of our sexual tendencies and preferences change throughout our lifetime with our experiences and everything like that. So, you know, what you liked even six months ago was, you know, depending where you're at in your life, probably, or maybe a lot different than what you like right now and might be a lot different from where you're at in six months from now, depending on your sexual journey. So again, yes. fascinating. You can change. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We just want to be sex positive in general and destigmatize, like talking about it. I like it's a normal part of life. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And yeah, like you said, it can change. There are some days where I'm like, I just want to be effed against the wall. And then some days I'm like, I want sweet, sweet love made to me. Like, you know, everyone's different. And there's some days where I'm like, I want to lay on the couch and I want you to just I'm going to look like a slob, but I want you to tell me I look beautiful. I don't even want you to yes. touch me. Nope. I just want to. <laughs> nothing sexual. That's all I want. Yep. These are my not tonight, honey, sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and especially, like, I think it's super important that women in particular kind of have this open conversation because that's that's a big part of destigmatizing sex, specifically with women, and that you know, we kind of have to understand that we're all in the same boat. We're all just trying to figure out what we like. And it's a lifelong process, just like anything else. So, you know, anything you like and you feel comfortable with is okay and beautiful and wonderful. And we support you, babes. Hell yeah. (laughs) So let's dive into chapter 58. Let's do it. So just like Hannah said, at, at the end of the last episode, in a surprising turn of events, the younger queen actually left the second half of the book. And so when the whole squad returns to Valaris, Amarin took the second half of the book and just got to work. She literally disappeared and was like, peace out. I'm going to go do my thing. And while Amarin worked to try to kind of break the code as to how to nullify the cauldron, 
Farrah has the realization that there will inevitably be war. Cauldron nullified or not, there's going to be a war. And they kind of get to talking and the Illyrian legions are camped out. And I feel like this all happens very fast. Um, yes. In, in typical SJM fashion, but it's like build up, build up, build up. And it's like, this chapter is like, okay, we've got armies at the ready. We've got the Illyrian legions camped out. We've got the court of nightmares, uh, legions and armies like ready at the snap of a finger. Um, so we've like, we're preparing or not even preparing. We are prepared to go to war, like at any moment's notice. And I feel like the transition to this has just happened so fast. Like, literally, we just had that beautiful moment with Reese and Feyre, and then they just, like, went to the human realms, and now everything has hit the fan. Because yeah. you know it's the last 25% of this book, if you look on your Kindle. Like, I literally, I literally was reading this last night, doing my summary, and I looked at Riley, and I was like, 20% left in this book. Shit's about to get real. It's about to hit the fan. So, they have all of these armies, like, at the ready, but they still haven't heard any word from the queens. <clears throat> Which gets Farah like kind of she's like, oh, what's up? what's up with that? So Moore and Reese left to go to the Court of Nightmares to both return the orb and to make sure that the, the armies are ready. And in the meantime, this is actually really sweet. In the meantime, Cass and Az are keeping Farah company at the townhouse. And they're kind of in the process of planning their inevitable visit to Highburn. But they're also like popping open hundred bottle, hundred year old bottles of wine to like properly celebrate their mating and Farah like officially being part of the family. And I'm like, sign me up for that hundred bottle, hundred. I keep saying hundred bottle, hundred year <laughs> bottle of wine. Have you had a hundred bottles of wine tonight, Amber? It feels like uh, it. I. <laughs> I love this because it just reminds me of our little foursome. Like, I feel like this is how we always celebrate things. Like, like we buy a nice bottle of wine and we just like Mm -hmm. celebrate together. I love that. I love that they just like adopted her into the fold. Me too. And I, that just immediately brings back the memory that I had when we were all in California for like, for my first travel therapy placement, I went with a couple of my friends to go to a winery in Napa Valley. And I, Again, this is my very first job. So I was still really poor, but I was actually making money and like trying to get on my feet. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I bought a hundred, a bottle of wine that was a hundred dollars, which for me, like I sat there at the winery and I was like, should I get this bottle of wine? And I thought about it for like, honestly, like 45 minutes before my friends were like, oh my God, Amber, just buy the fucking bottle of wine. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll buy the bottle of wine. And then I brought it back and the four of us shared this bottle of wine and it was phenomenal. It was, it was so, so good. good. It was like mm-hmm. butter. But it just, I, I immediately thought of that and it's just very sweet and wholesome. It is sweet and wholesome. That they're doing this, I think it's even more wholesome that they're doing that without Reese there. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. I don't know why. It's just kind of like they so they like her for her, not just because she's like she comes with Reese as a package, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So naturally Reese and Farah are writing back and forth. And Farah is asking how to like politely tell Cass and Az to like 
it's okay. Please back off. Like you don't have to stay at the townhouse with me. I know you're like protecting me and all that, but like dudes give me some space. But then it kind of like transforms and they just start talking dirty. And I love it when Reese writes to her, quote, when I return, we're going to go to that shop across the Cedra and you're going to try on all those lacy little under things for me. And I love how this comes full circle from that kind of like the first really dirty fantasy that he like planted into her brain that was super hot and was like part of the build up to all of this. I love that it it, it kind of comes back now. <laughs> it just makes me sad. I love that too. Oh my gosh. Also Reese should be like a smut author. He's He's very talented. He has so many talents. Psychologist, warrior, supermodel, probably. (laughs) Smut author. (laughs) Truly. Absolutely filthy mouth. I love it. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. And so the next day, Farah and Cass spend the day together. They they go to the symphony. Very Aelin of them. Um, They go to the symphony and they share... A really beautiful moment. <clears throat> and Farah is ultimately ends up thanking Cass for offering to protect her sisters. And then she says something about Nesta that I think we all need to remember at this point in time. And this is what she says. Quote, I think Nesta feels everything. Sees too much. Sees and feels it all. And she burns with it. Keeping that wall up helps from being overwhelmed, from caring too greatly. She will never from she will never love freely and give it to anyone who crosses her path. But the few she does care for, I think Nessa would shred the world apart for them. Shred herself apart for them. I couldn't agree more. Especially after reading all of the books, I think that this is a perfect moment of foreshadowing of I mean, right now, Nesta is, Nesta doesn't really play a huge role, but we know she's pretty nasty. You know, she's not pleasant. And this is a good foreshadowing to remember as we progress through Nesta's story, because Nesta becomes honestly worse (laughs) before she gets better. God, yes. Frost and Starlight destroyed my soul. Um, But this, this is perfect because... If you keep this in mind as you read throughout the rest, especially during Silver Flames when she's on her journey, which I identify with so hard, mm-hmm. um, this, but I do love that about Nessa though. Like, there's something about even, even just people that you know that are like, they only give their love to people, to certain people, right? They're not, you know, they're not like necessarily mean to other people like Nessa is. But they're not just like a golden retriever and loves everyone, right? No loyalties, whatever. There's something about like having a friend or a lover or someone in your life that's like, they're the person that's just like, they, they love you and they don't give a fuck about anybody else, but they love you. (laughs) I relate to that so hard. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of my closest friends is the reason is the person I think of when I think of Nessa, she would 
kill me because she's she's read the series she's the one who actually got me into the series and if she listens to this episode i don't think she will but if she does she would fucking <laughs> kill me because i actually had this conversation with her last weekend and she hates nesta okay oh hates she's no. read the entire series she mm-hmm. hates nesta but y'all she is nesta she is like the one person in my life that when you're in her inner circle which is like a hand, like less than a handful of people, she will literally do anything for you. And outside of that, she is a viper. She is feisty. She is fierce. She is wildly intelligent and wonderful human being, but she will not give you the time of day unless you either very much deserve it and prove your worth to her or you're in her inner circle. If you're in her inner circle, you could you could kill someone and she would be like, how do I help you cover it up? <laughs> Where do we have the body? <laughs> but it's like I I totally relate to what you just said, Hannah, because I literally have that person mm-hmm. in my life. And even though she doesn't identify with Nesta, like she has she has those qualities of the I love my inner circle and I will I will do anything for my inner circle. And it's really special being a part of that and seeing just just seeing how those dynamics work and it's fascinating and it's mm-hmm. wonderful. And I I just I I'm so fortunate to be a part of that circle for her. Yeah. I think if you have a Nesta on your side then you're definitely like a very lucky person and i think a lot of people hate on nesta like i hated her so much and then i shared a reel on our story the other day that was like i hated nesta and then i read silver flames and then you're like oh fuck like i think everyone has a part of them that like a part of nesta's story a part of her not everybody does some people are like elaine's and they have they don't have a lot of darkness or anger and honestly that's so fortunate and beautiful great like but like there is a part i think if you're it's like this it's like when you meet someone that's a lot like you and usually you hate that person like or like (laughs) anytime riley does something that is something that i don't like about myself because we also have a lot in common like it it irritates me and then i'm like oh like i don't like that because i don't like that about me and that's something that i do and that's how I was with Nessa. I read her. I started reading her story and I was like, I don't like her. Like, fuck Nessa. She can just like, I don't care about her story. And then I read Silver Flames and I got to the end and I was like, hey, Riley, remember that character I told you that I didn't like? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't like her because I am her almost all the way. Not all the way. Because I am very like, I do give love freely, not to the certain the same extent as like trusting everyone but i'm a very like kind and loving and warm and bubbly person but there in my private life i am a lot like nesta and so that i was like oh i hate her and then i was like oh great <laughs> i am her that's why I hate her. That's fun. That's super fun. duper i'm gonna i'm gonna package that up and uh special deliver it to my therapist so we can unpack yes <laughs> Could you imagine talking to your therapist and be like, so I'm reading this like Bay fantasy series and I said to honestly, my therapist is amazing. She would be like, yes, girl. Okay. Like, do I need to read this book? Yes. 
There should be a, like, on um, BetterHelp, there should be a section where you can say, like, relates to fantasy smut characters. I am Anesta. <laughs> it just tells your therapist everything. And you, your therapist is like, ooh, skip that one. <laughs> like, oh, nah. Not a good thing. Mm, no. Oh, my God. Okay. So after we have this little breakthrough with, about Nesta's true personality, mm-hmm. they kind of sit in sit in silence. And they're sitting on, like, right next to the water. And Farrah looks down and sees a tremor in the water. And then they look up and they see a smear of swift moving blackness. And Cass is like, oh, fuck. (laughs) They both know what's about to happen. So they know the danger is breathing down their throats. And immediately Cass goes to Farah, And his only purpose at this immediate moment is to get Farah to safety. Like, you need to run. You need to get back to the house immediately. And Farah is like, I don't think I will. And so she like backs away from him until, until she realized that these are no ordinary beasts because mind you, these things are flying in and they're flying in fast and they are all just like the adder. Her worst nightmare. How terrible would that be? Nightmare. And they, so Cass like hits his siphons and goes like full Avengers on us. And so he puts up a shield, another shield, and the adders break through the shields because they have those same bluish stones that they use to nullify Reese's power. Yes. Also, a couple episodes back. Also, when Cass hits his siphons and the like armor like comes on him, I immediately thought of Edna from The Incredibles. I feel like this is like a suit that Edna edna mode would like create i don't know why my brain went there but i was like this is some edna shit like no games (laughs) (laughs) but that's just where my brain went when i was reading that uh yesterday i was like oh my god like that's a cool suit and i was like this is something that edna would totally design or was like kind of like hunger gamesy like senna might create something like that like yeah I don't know. I feel like it related to some of our beloved characters, even though The Incredibles is not fantasy. But Tony Stark. Yes, very Tony Stark. Hits the body and just in like your entire Mm -hmm. suit just kind of like clink, 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 clink until it's covering every inch of your body. Kind of like when he made your one siphon turns into seven, (laughs) and you're flying (laughs) without wings. Yes, it's like when he made. when he made Spider-Man the new suit, like that kind of thing, where it's just like, yeah, that's, that is, that reminded me a lot of that. Maybe after this episode, we should just keep drinking wine and FaceTime each other and watch The Incredibles. Oh my gosh. Monsieur Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love The Incredibles. Incredibles is like one of my all time, like I have fond memories. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I waited like 20 years to watch that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about Agreed. that after this episode. We will. This Circling back to Akatar, which is why we're here. Yeah. 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 My third glass of wine is coming into my brain. Okay. Anyway, Adder Beasts all over the place. Um, 
they're coming through Cass's shield with the, the bluish stones that are used to nullify, that were used to nullify Reese's power, and are now breaking through Cass's barrier, which is absolutely terrifying. And so Cass jumps over Farah, and Farah kind of peeks out behind him when she hears a wet crunch, which is like a very gross descriptor. And she looks out to find the golden queen impaled, impaled on a lamppost. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. I, I made a point later. We can talk about it right now, though. Sarah J. Moss does not hold back when she writes, like, war, like, battle and, like, gore. I it's mean, gross. she gives, yeah, like, when she describes, I mean, like, bodies hitting the ground, and I'm like, oh. Do, we, do you Ugh. remember in the spring court when Reese impaled a head on a post yeah. to send them a message? That's disgusting. There's something about yeah. impaling some sort of, any sort of body part torso head on a pole that gives mm-hmm. such a vivid picture of what's actually happening that's truly disgusting. And yes. so the adder that is closest to them just says, regards of the mortal queens and Jurian. And I'm like, Jurian? What? <laughs> this bitch is on, on hybrid side? Bitch? Again, I'm like, I'm in the mindset of like, the last time that I had met Jurian, which was the last time I read the entire series, was towards the end of their journey. So he was very much not on, he was on a very different (laughs) quest at that point in time. So I don't even remember how this all happens with Jurian. And I'm, I'm really excited to kind of relive that because I don't, I don't actually remember his, his journey to where he got like to how how he got to be on the same side as Farah. He has a very interesting arc. Yeah, I'm pumped to explore that again too. And so at this point, Farah is freaking out. She's literally having a panic attack at this point. And she finally agrees. She's like, fuck this, I'm out. And she hauls ass. She's like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the townhouse. It's safe. But there are soldiers everywhere they're saturated in the city and she sees she looks up and she can see as and Cass flying above and they're just like death incarnate right where they go these winged beings are falling to the earth and then she looks down another street and sees amarin fighting and same thing she's she's like taking them out in groves <laughs> and, and she does not have any siphons and she does not have any siphons, but but it's not enough because the sheer quantity of beings, whether they're winged creatures or hybrid soldiers, they are infiltrated in the entire city and she hears screams from the artist's quarter. So naturally, that is where Pharaoh windows. We follow the chaos. We follow the chaos to the art. Um, and this is her moment of realization that Valaris is her home. And she'll do anything to protect both Valaris and its people. She says to herself, before she pulls out her total badassery, if I died defending them, defending that small place in the world where art thrived, then so be it. And I became darkness and shadow and wind. Yes. 
and shit hits the fan because she, the first thing she sees in the artist quarter is a woman holding this steel rusty bar protecting behind her a gallery full of innocent people. And there are five winged soldiers standing in front of her, taunting her, and she is not showing an ounce of fear. And I, that just gives me goosebumps. Yes. I love, I love the way that Sarah J. Moss writes female bravery. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, this is very much like mama bear protecting her cubs type female wrath and protectiveness. Like, I love, because we grew up listening and reading and watching stories about, you know, damsels in distress and women needing men to come and save them. Mm-hmm. And I just love her and Jennifer Armentrout, like, which yes. is why we love um, Poppy so From much. Blood too. and Ash. Yeah. From Blood and Ash. Like, there's just, I think that that's what changed, like, my love of reading again. Like, reading something. The last time I read something where, like, the female was strong was when I was like a young kid and I read Anne of Green Gables. And honestly, that's why I'm the person I am today because Anne Shirley mm-hmm. took no shit ever. And she was always super strong, but it wasn't like a fantasy thing. But this is like, I mean, these women are like, like slaying, like, like scary creatures and like not afraid. Yes. Like, so it, brave. It plays on every single one of our fantasies, which is, this we all as women i think i can i can confidently speak for at least the vast majority of us when i say if you like this kind of series if it draws you you like the idea of being a badass right you love that these women are so badass that they can take care of themselves and their partners and everyone under their care like, Farah is about to step up and save this entire city. But also take a step back and be worshipped and be cared for and be coddled in the way that a quote-unquote damsel in distress is, is kind of surrounded by that, by that male character, right? We, we like the idea of having that protection and that possessiveness almost you know like that is a very desirable feature but it's Mm -hmm. when it's when you only have that that's when we tread into tamlin territory and that's when we don't like it right right you don't want to just be a damsel you you want to be an independent female who is loved coveted Mm -hmm. possessed by the person you most want to possess you but also you want to be fiercely independent and able to take care of yourself and, and take care of business. And, and you, and, and she herself can also be the hero. And it's, and it's this wonderful balance of those two things that is beautiful. And I think that's where, that's, that's where the line is. It gets gray because when people look at feminism, they're like, Oh, these women, they want to be like, they want to be seen as these like holy creatures, but then they also want to be like, they want this, this, and this. And and it's never that black and white Mm -hmm. because as women, we need to be nurtured. 
it's in it's in our character to nurture others stereotypically, right? Mm-hmm. But truly to the root of it, we want to be nurtured. Every human does. And so we want to be nurtured, but we also want to be a badass. <laughs> yes. And it's I that, think that beautiful dynamic that sometimes kind of blurs the line between what people think women want and what women actually want. And sometimes we as women have a hard time understanding that that is what we want because we want to be seen as equals, but we also want to be held and, and, and to have that soft softness in our lives. Yeah. And I think there's also, that's the beauty and feminine strength is Mm -hmm. like, like I know like personally like Riley always does a really good job of reminding me like that I'm stronger than him in certain areas and in different ways and so I think there is a beauty to like us as women like we are resilient I think that we we push through a lot more than than men do I think men are strong because they feel like they have to be and women are strong just because they are you know like I think that's just kind of who we are innately. And I think there is something beautiful to um, being a strong badass who's a girl boss and like, you know, like, like again, from personal experience, like that sometimes I'll have a contract where I make a lot more money than Riley and Riley will go around and tell people like my wife makes more than me or we'll go to a restaurant and he'll be like, you're buying, like you're the breadwinner or whatever. But then also can hold me when I'm, crying about some book that I just read about people who aren't even real because I think there's also strength and you know crying over something like that isn't a weakness there's strength I think our strength as women is feeling as deeply as we do is connecting as deeply as we do and honestly I think a lot of times um like Riley has even told me like I'm I'm envious sometimes of how you have those things and so I think I think that's good to note to notice of like we as women, some things that society perceives as weakness are still actually strengths in themselves. Like it takes a lot of you as a person to connect deeply and to love deeply and fiercely and snaps. unabashedly. Yeah. Snaps. snaps. That's fucking brave as hell. To it be is able brave. To it's in Game of Thrones. Ned Stark says, Oh, I can't remember what he says, but it's so good where I think Bran is like, how do you know? But I'm afraid. How can I be brave? And he says, that's the first part of being brave is admitting that you're afraid. And oh. yeah. And there's just like so much strength in that. Oh. Yeah. I love Game of Thrones. So good. Oh. <laughs> so back to, Anyways. yeah, back to our own badassery. Yes. Farah. Farah so sees this scene with this woman being extremely brave, holding this pipe against these like winged males. Right. And, Farrah's like, fuck all this shit. She runs to the water's edge and she brings her foot down in a mighty stomp. And in answer, in, in answer the Cedra rose. This water, this body of water rises. And this is when Farrah becomes death incarnate. And it is absolutely beautiful. And it gives me goosebumps just imagining the scene she Mm. has been feeling the pull of this water right and she yields to it entirely 
The Hybern soldiers stopped dead in their tracks, and she wielded this water into wolves of water. And so she cool. sent those wolves after all of them. And Farah, so if you just imagine, SJM paints this beautiful picture. She's like, my wolves ran and I ran with them. And so Farah, this beautiful high fae death incarnate, she is like, absolutely not. This is my, this is my city. These are my people. This is, I am willing to die for what is happening right now. And she is hauling ass straight into enemy forces with the wolves of water surrounding her. And they come head to head with these soldiers and the winged creatures, the adder, essentially. And the wolves are drowning them, and Farah is slashing at them. And when they don't drown the winged creatures, the winged creatures just kind of laugh and they fly away. And Farah doesn't even, doesn't even let them like sit in it. She literally snaps her fingers and freezes the water on their body. So they are now essentially ice cubes falling to the earth and crashing, shattering. And they are all, they they just fall to their deaths and shatter to their deaths. And this is so cool. This is very cool. (laughs) This is like Avengers level stuff this is (laughs) i'm I'm a big marvel girl i'm a big marvel girl so when i say this is avengers level that's high praise (laughs) that's a very high compliment very high compliment high praise and then the the icing on the cake is that farah sees the adder the og adder that started all this bullshit and he's slimy and he's sneaky, right? So he gets away from her water creatures. But she's like, she is cool, calm, and collected. She has adopted Reese's like calm rage, right? She's like, absolutely the fuck not. Is the adder going to get away from me? No way in hell. And not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. <laughs> And, like, as this is happening, Reese returns, and he is screaming through their bond, Where are you? And he keeps screaming it, and she puts a steel wall down that is, he cannot get through. But she calmly picked up the arrows, covered in blood bane, right, what poisoned Reese not too long ago, and calmly she lifts the, the wall in her mind and says, I'm exactly where I need to be. And winnows into the sky. I love that line. I'm exactly where I need to be. Our girl means business. She's not fucking around today. She is no no prisoners. (laughs) So, chapter 59. Farah is winnowing her way towards the adder. And she's just like, at this point, she sent that message back to Reese, and now she has fully shut him out with her mental shields. She's not playing around. And she has her eye on the prize, and even Reese is not going to keep her from the adder. Because we remember the adder. This bitch beat her 
and like was always the one to capture her is the stuff of her nightmares like this guy's gotta go he's got so he's gotta go (laughs) bye Bye. (laughs) so Farah, like as she's working her way towards the adder notices our boy reese has entered the chat darkness (laughs) is enveloping the land (laughs) and soldiers are just like falling like flies like reese is here and <laughs> Farrah's like, that I don't even. Gave me, that just gave me a flashback to like AIM in like seventh grade. Oh my god. AIM. Can we talk about how dangerous that was? Like, creepy old men were probably chatting with us, like, and we had no idea. Uh, I only talked to people like that I knew on AIM. That was like my like seventh grade boyfriend was like we only talked on AIM and when we saw each other in school we're like oh we like actually and then when you break up you put like a super dramatic like away message on there like it's like paramore lyrics or something (laughs) oh my god the things that we did I really hope that everyone listening to this podcast is a millennial yes if you're a Gen Z let me just say you're welcome for paving the way for you so that you guys have a non cringy existence. Everything about middle school and oh most my of God. middle school for me was so cringy. I, I'm so glad. Like, like Riley asked the other day, he said something about like, if we met in high school, like, would we have even been friends? I'm like, mm. we probably would have been friends. I'd have had a crazy crush on you, but like, you wouldn't have liked me because I was so. I was such an emo girl. Like, I just could not, like, just the emo vibes from middle school and high school, just unparalleled. I was, like, I was such a conundrum in, like, middle school and high school because I was, like, I was a very athletic girl. I always played sports year-round, but I was also, like, kind of naughty and did naughty things and was kind of in, like, the emo, like grungy group but i was also yes. like, sports and, like i was in sports and i was also in band so it yes. was like i was this like weird mix of humans that i, I just no wonder i was so fucking confused all the time <laughs> <laughs> who am i what am i what is life yes oh, I, I feel you i was the same way i was like a super nerd but also like like really athletic i mean i feel like that's a lot of high school and especially middle school it's just kind of like into a lot of different things but i will stand by i'm not a taylor swift person but i heard her quote where she says the worst kind of person in the world is a person that makes you feel bad about something you're passionate about and that was like all of my middle school experience so i love that quote (laughs) i was i was like I was such a loser in middle school. I was literally in technology student association and also was like reading. It was. I won nationals for website design. Um, But could I design a website now? No. (laughs) I would need, I would need Ben's help for that. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done for it. Anyway, I'm like, the chat. Reese has entered the chat, you guys. AIM style. <laughs> Hi, I'm Reese, murdering everyone in my wake. Um, yeah, by the way, and I have. In AIM, just in case any of you were curious, I know none of you were, but I was dating uh, the tuba player in 
been banned. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I picture the tuba player from my high school who was literally the same size as the tuba. Like, like super short. Anyways, no, continue. This guy, this guy was super sweet. He was so sweet, but he, we were both so shy. Anyway, uh, I just thought y'all wanted to know that. <laughs> tuba play. I played we're the just, flute. I also was a woodwind. I played the flute, too. This is why we're besties. <sighs> Anyways, because you guys really wanted to, to know more about us, it's a wine <sighs> episode, so get to know your podcast hosts. <laughs> All right. Reese has entered the chat. We're leaving our childhood trauma behind. So. I got to mute. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so. I can't. I'm just watching her laugh even though she's muted. Okay. Hashtag can't stop, won't stop. Okay. So we're back in action, baby. Farah makes contact with the adder. And it's like she's using its malice and like its ilk as a map to winnow towards it. And again, this is some like high fantasy shit that I love that SJM incorporated. Because this is very much like when we talked about um, the Boggy and uh, the Naga. Like, just the deep-rooted evil. Like, probably some creature you'd find in Mordor somewhere. Or, like, mm-hmm. uh, like Mirkwood. Like, that kind of thing. Like, she's using its evilness to track it. So she finds it. And she shreds the adder's wings with the arrows. Like, the poison arrows. And she becomes living flame around the adder. Our girl is mm. burning the shit out of this creature. You know that has to smell terrible because there's like blood, there's like burning flesh. This is, this is chaos. And let's also keep in mind they are plummeting towards the earth. Fast. Very, Fast. very quickly. Yeah. So <laughs> they're plummeting towards the earth. She stabs the adder the first time, quote, this is for Reese. The second time, quote, this is for Claire. And a final time, this is for me. And I don't know, Amber, have you watched Anastasia? No. <gasps> okay, we have to remedy that because that's like my all-time favorite animated series. It's better than any Disney series. <laughs> we can watch that tonight while we're drunk as shit. So... In in Anastasia, for anyone who's who's seen Anastasia, uh, which is a beautiful masterpiece, if you haven't, go watch it right now. Pause. Go watch the. Go watch it. She has a moment where she um, there's like this talisman, and she's like with Rasputin, who is the bad guy, and she like smashes it with her foot, and she's like, "This is for my family," and then she like smashes it again, and she's like, "This is for Dimitri," and then she like smashes it again, and she's like, "This is for me," and then she looks at him, and she's like. Dasvidanya, and it's like the most perfect moment. And this is just like, it, this is just like what popped into my head. So anyone who has seen Anastasia, you know the magic of that moment. But anyways, 
she Pharaoh just like gives no fucks about her like impending death. She's just like, if I die killing the adder, like eh, not a bad way to go. <laughs> She's like, she doesn't care. Yes. So Farah, God, I love this. This whole scene is just like a chaotic masterpiece. She grabs the adder and she goes close to his ear and she says, I'll see you in hell. And she winnows away. And like I said before, Ugh. Sarah, Sarah Dumas does not hold back. She hears the wet, crunching thud of the adder hitting the earth. Yuck. Yeah. Super yuck. And obviously, if this were obviously. real life. If, obviously. Obviously. She, <laughs> we love Snape. So she's like, obviously reeling from this experience, right? This is, when you hear and see something like that, that's something that just like changes your genetic makeup forever. Like, that's some deep trauma. And she's just like, gazing upon the mangled remains of the adder like in the moment it felt so good and now she's just standing there like looking at it and reese finally has made his way to her and he grabs her chin and he just kisses her and one thing that i really love about this moment is just how grounding like reese's presence is for her like just the fact that he's he's almost like an anchor for her. Like, I, I just love that about their relationship. Again, it's not that she's weak. It's that she just needs someone to, like, pull her back to reality. And Reese is that for her. And he's just soothing her. And he says, quote, Thera Cursebreaker, the defender of the rainbow. And the fact that he's just, like, so proud of her and is trying to pull her away from this really traumatic moment, I think is just really beautiful. And I, I love that. Oh God, it's just so, it's so perfect. I love them. And Reese holds her while she cries. Cause I mean, the second basically he makes contact with her, she, she just like lets it all go. And again, this is not weakness. This is, responding to a deep feeling to a very traumatic situation and i love that he's just he's a high lord he's like the most powerful person in prithian there's chaos unfolding all around them and he's just holding her and Mm -hmm. being there for her and i this moment is just so beautiful to me i don't know why i feel so deeply about this but there's just something about like war happening all around them and he's just there with her. It's and, so beautiful. Yeah, he's not he's also just like not he's not like Tamlin, right? He's not trying to get her to like pull it together or look a certain way or be like, it's gonna look weak like if you're crying and like not holding it together, like think of the people or he's just like the thing that I love about Reese is he just accepts her as she is and he never tries to to change her he just meets her where she's at and i think that's like the base for a successful relationship like Mm -hmm. if you have nothing you at least need to have that like just accepting the person for who they are and Mm -hmm. just meeting them where they are honestly relationships in general like just 
just being there. Like, Tamlin was always, like, trying to, like, damage control or, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is just, like, let it out, baby girl. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Other, it doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what those two, you you and the person you're with in your relationship are experiencing. And fuck everyone else. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You've got to do what's best for you. Which mm-hmm. takes us to chapter 60. Yeah. Okay, so after that very sweet moment, they get to work. And finally, by three in the morning, they finally have Valaris secured and the wards reinforced. And they are all utterly exhausted. And the picture painted with words in this scene is profound, right? We get a very vivid, if you're... If you as listeners are actually reading along, I'm not going to like go in depth about exactly what they look like. But the but the picture that is painted is Amran looks a certain way, Moore looks a certain way, Cass and Az and Farah and Reese. You know, they all have this each a unique look about them that just screams exhaustion and that they just went through a a, a surprise battle. Of of trying to, to defend their, their city. And it's inevitable, but they begin to talk about how their city is no longer a secret and the threats that will, will come knocking, right? And the biggest issue is that they cannot both fight a war with Hybern and secure the city. So when they leave the city, the fear is that the city will then be vulnerable. And Amran kind of remedies this and says, when you go to Highburn, I will stay. I will protect Valaris. And now we know we will not be as vulnerable. We will, we will be better next time. And later that night, after Farah had bathed, Reese did not come to bed. So Farah went to find him and found him in this, like, guilt-ridden state of self-loathing up on the roof of the house. And he, this scene is actually very profound in my mind because he's, he's sitting on the roof of the house and he comments on the lights in the city. And the lights in the city are very few and far between after the horrific battle that happened earlier that day and Reese had thought that the price he was willing to pay to get that second half of the book was going to be worth it and now he is second guessing it because he's like this turmoil and damage that has been propped onto my city is my fault and it I just I love their relationship so much because Reese is, as as the conversation kind of shifts to Farah and what she did during the day, Reese is simultaneously wildly impressed with her, but also wants to throttle her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I just, I, I just think that this is, again, the perfect example of what a relationship is. When, when we... When you see people talk about relationships on social media, right? We're so good at making things seem so black and white. Or even when we look at relationships on 
like Instagram reels or even other fantasy books or this fantasy book, what have you. It can seem very black and white, but it's just, it's never that simple. It's never that simple. He, yes, Farrah saved the day, but at the same time, Reese would have been just as happy if she would have went back to the house and kept herself safe. Right. (laughs) And Farrah was happy that he came, but would have been just as happy had he stayed away and stayed safe. You know, it's, it's always that multidimensional dynamic that is never black and white. And we as humans like to define things in within a little box and it's never going to happen. And that's why we, we have these issues of standards and dynamics and, but it, it, it's never that simple. It's never that simple. And no. <laughs> if it can't be that simple in a fantasy book, in a fictional world, you bet your ass it's not going to be that simple in real life. Christ. But think about, yeah. And relationships would be so boring if they were that simple. They, they I like, I like the intrigue. I like, and that's why I love Cassie and Anessa. Cause again, it reminds me of me and Riley. Like sometimes Sweet. like literally yesterday morning, I started an argument for literally no reason. Just, other than to just, I like when Riley's worked up. <laughs> like ben. ben is the Ben does the same thing. <laughs> I like to like work you up a little bit. I'm like, God damn it! Stop it! It's, it's cute. I'm all worked up. It's cute. It's so cute. Yeah, Ben and, and I are the like, same person. Yeah, and then Ben will just like smirk at me, and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. absolutely not. <laughs> I just sounded like smirk, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. We are really tying in a lot of our passions in this episode. Maybe we'll watch New Girl after this. That'd be great. We have a lot of things to watch, Amber. I'm not going to sleep tonight. It's fine. We're not. It's fine. Continue. Um, Anyway, so Reese and Farrah end this beautiful, sweet, sweet night. And Farrah says, we deserve each other. And we deserve to be happy. And they make sweet, sweet love under the stars. And that is... Check on the fantasy checklist. That's all I have to say. Um, The next day... Yes, agreed. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you feel that. The next day, Amarin cracked the cover of of the second part of the book. And it's bad news bears. Um, to nullify the cauldron's power, Farah has to touch the cauldron and speak a set of words, kind of like a spell. So Amarin kind of like slides over a little piece of paper and was like, these are the words you gotta say when you're <laughs> touching it. Um, and they they immediately start planning for their like quote unquote trip. And again, this is all happening like very fast in my mind, I feel like, because um they're just like, okay, by the way, we've been uh, like doing some light recon all this time. And as was like, oh yeah, I know exactly. Uh, I know a general area of where the cauldron is. I also know when we should go in, how we should go in and why we should go in. So we should probably go. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, this had me reeling a little bit, if I'm being entirely honest. Same. Um, I was not ready for this. As someone who's already read this, 
Yes, I, I, I almost had a little bit of whiplash because I'm like, oh, we're like, we're going. This is like, oh, we're going to hybrid. We're going. And so as is like, oh, yeah, um, I kind of know all of their schedules and we should probably go now. And since hybrid can track Reese's movements, the game plan is that they're all going to winnow like right off of the coast of where hybrid is located. So that they can't really track Reese into the exact location. But then as Cass and Farah are going to fly to the cauldron. So they are going to go into where like the the facility, the place that Hybern is in. They're just gonna like fly in there. That's their game plan. They don't they don't elaborate. They're just like, we're just gonna fly in um and get to the cauldron on one of the lower levels. And Reese is like deathly quiet, like too quiet, like scary quiet. And when Reese is quiet, you know shit is like not good. Yeah. Um, and all he says, he looks at as like direct eye contact. Is like, are you asking me to stay outside while my mate goes into his stronghold? And as bless his. Looks at Reese in just as calm of a voice and says, "Yes." Tension. Oh my god! Hi, folks. I'm sweating. (laughs) And Reese like has this internal battle, but ultimately he takes a takes a deep breath and says, "Looks at Farah and says, if you want to go, then you go, Farah." And she falls in love with him all over again. And he sees this, like, snowball effect in her eyes because she she kind of has this realization of, like, how shitty she really had it with Tamlin. Um, so she has this revelation. And he sees it and he says, you might be my mate, but you remain your own person. You decide your fate, your choices. Not me. You. You chose yesterday. You chose every day. Forever. <laughs> Forever. I love them. I Reason know. 539 why I fucking love them. There needed more reasons. I feel like there's just something about like there's something about just trusting your partner enough to let them make their own decisions and not feel like you have to control every aspect of their life. And I love that about them. I love that they're, they're very open. Like Reese is like, this is freaking me the fuck out. But if this is what you really feel like you need to do and you're okay with it, then I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to learn how to manage my feelings about this and, and let you do you boo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and again another reason why I love them they go up to Ben and as they're like walking up Farah realizes she's like I'm just like I guess I'm gonna go to my bed but then Reese is like choose your room choose my room I don't care but we're sharing as long as that's okay with you and she's like yeah that's okay Uh, your bed is bigger and he just like nods his head and 
that that's that they're they're now like they're together right they're they they don't have their own separate quarters like they didn't like her and Tamla did in the spring court like they are together and they will always be together and that's the beauty of it but the beauty of it even more so is that Reese was like if that's what you want it wasn't us we're going to share a place and that's that it's a I would like to if that's what you want and that's yes. the that's the little caveat that's so wonderful and beautiful about Reese. Yeah. There's just something about I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't do like super controlling relationships where the the person gives you no choice. There's no compromise. That's no. not a relationship. Like, that is Yeah. I I'm even like very codependent relationships even are like a very much a no-go for me. Um which is which is essentially what Tamlin and Farrah were. They were in, insanely codependent. Um, yes, they anyways, were. Yeah. So, so they go into their room now, and Reese walks his cute little behind all the way over to his desk and grabs a small box, turns and hands it to Farrah, and her heart is like because she knows what this box is. It's the ring. That she got from the weaver. And then Reese says, quote, My mother gave me that ring to remind me she was always with me, even during the worst of my training. And, I, and when I reached my majority, she took it away. It was an heirloom of her family. It had been handed down from female to female over many, many years. My sister wasn't born yet, so she wouldn't have known to give it to her. But my mother gave it to the weaver. And then she told me that if I were to marry or mate, then the female would either have to be smart or strong enough to get it back. And if the female wasn't either of those things, then she wouldn't survive the marriage. I promised my mother that any potential bride or mate would have the test. So it sat there for centuries. And... Farrah says, so I won my wedding ring without even being asked if I wanted to marry you? And he just said, perhaps. (laughs) I love this. I love this so much. I love it so much. Some people have such a problem with this, but this is some shit I I will pull as a mom. I love that shit. I love it. Yeah. I love it too. Sign me up. Sign me up. Yes. I feel like Amber, especially because you want to have boys, I feel like you're going to be like, you have to solve this riddle if you want to be able to marry my child. (laughs) I do. I feel like that's going to be you. I know I'm ready for, I'm ready to have a child when I accept the fact that it could be a girl. Because I straight up, I like my perfect world. I have identical twin boys and call it a day. Call it a life. Ride it out with those twin boys and be done. Granted, okay, I have that in my mind because there are twin boys all over, like twins all over in my family. So I like to think there's a decent chance I'll have twins, but. I won't, but I definitely want two girls where I'm the most opposite of you. Yeah, everyone needs to pray for me if I end up having identical twins and they're girls. So, everyone pray for me. I don't know if you're religious. I don't give a shit if you're religious or not. 
Still so no good vibes. Me. I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, this next part is major foreshadowing. I don't know if any of you have seen How I Met Your Mother, but major foreshadowing. Have you seen How I Met Your Mother? Yeah. I've watched I've watched most of it, yeah. So you've seen the major foreshadowing? Yes. Yeah, I know minor. That. yeah, okay, good. Yes. Um, <laughs> Tara asks, quote, when we go to Highburn, let's say things go badly. Will anyone be able to tell that we're maiden? Could they use that against you? And and in response he said, if they see us together, if we are in their physical presence, they will be able to scent us. They'll they'll know. Okay, and she said, and if I show up alone wearing a night court wedding ring and he kind of snarls. Right. So what what we learned from this encounter is that people don't know that they are mated unless they the person in question can scent both Reese and Farah at the same time. Or. Or has scented both of them since they've been mated. Right. Major foreshadowing. Yes. Like, <laughs> huge. Okay? Yes. Um, <laughs> when I read this, I was like, okay. Okay. This conversation, literally, that's the only reason a conversation like this would ever happen in happen was is to foreshadow exactly what ends up happening mm-hmm. next yes which in my head i'm like oh my god that's so obvious but when i read it the first time i was like okay <laughs> yeah you're like oh cool okay so they'll know if they're together yeah i have no clue what's gonna happen and then Farrah's like i want to wait to have this ring and everything until until after we nullify the cauldron and then I want it all. I want the bond declared. I want to marry you. I want a party with all of Alaris there. I want everything. And Reese just says, and what if I wanted to go one step beyond that? And grabs her and we all know what happens next. Yes. Ugh. Magic. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> and that's oh, that. Man. That's and that's that. that. Chapter 61. This chapter opens with Pharaoh reminiscing about that magic moment that they just had. <laughs> when his lips were still on hers. <laughs> so they made sweet, sweet love, obviously, uh, as we do before we go on to dangerous, perilous journeys. Um, so She's reminiscing on this. This happened hours, just hours previous. I don't think anyone has slept this night. Um, To when we now find her standing with the inner circle, armed to the teeth with steel, ready to infiltrate Highburn. I feel like this is such a trope, though. Like, when people fuck after a battle, it's kind of like you see the worst in humanity and you're like, I just really need this right now. Like, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah. What? Oh my god. I I just had like a very vivid image and I 
Listeners it's probably from Game of Thrones. A lot of wine. I've had a lot of wine. What series is it that they go into the carriage in the like right after a battle and they fuck and everyone knows it? Is it Shadow and Bone? Is it, is it? Is it Game of Thrones? Is it? No, it's not Game of Thrones. It wouldn't be Shadow and Bone. That's Throne of Glass. Very YA. Uh, they do it in a carriage. In a carriage. In the middle of everything. What series is that? Oh, is no. it books or it's movie? a book? Like it's TV a book. books. It's a book. It's a book. Is it is it a blood and ash moment? Because I feel like that's something Poppy and Castile would do. Oh god, it might be. It you're probably think about is. This at like you're gonna think about this at like two AM and text me and be like, it was this. <laughs> okay. Anyway, keep going. All right. Someone serious, did it. It's a thing. It's a thing. We'll figure it out. We'll put it on our Instagram when Amber finally remembers when she's sober. <laughs> At this rate, we'll be oh, in at man. least 24 hours. So, <laughs> with the alcohol detox from the system. Yeet. <laughs> Yeet. All right. So, Amran warns Reese not to underestimate Highburn. This bro is ancient, and he is not to be trifled with. And f- in these moments, while they're all talking, Farah could hear the halves of the book speaking to her, which is so creepy. But cool. And I have a question for you. Why do you think that the book calls Farah a liar? I don't know. Do you think this is from when originally when she found the first half of the book in like in Tarquin's court that she went into into the area and she was like pretending to be Tarquin and like the book was like you're lying, you're mm. lying. And in the second half of the book is kind of resonating with that. Maybe. I could see that. I but could see that. I feel like, like they're, also they're different parts of the book, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either, because at first I was thinking like maybe it was because the first half of the book could feel, I think, that she was like lying to herself too about like uh-huh. Reese and everything else. So I don't know. But anyways, I just found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, send us your theories. Why do you think the book calls Farah a liar? Um, so, Amran also warns Farah about the cauldron. And to bail on the mission if the spell and the book don't work almost immediately to move it. Like, it's not worth dwelling in Highburn, we're learning. This is not a place you want to get stuck. So... The crew has to split up. We talked about that already. Reese can't win out. So Reese and Farrah kiss goodbye. Cassian and Asriel have this moment with Reese where they vow that they're going to protect Farrah with their lives. I love this moment. Mm-hmm. I love them both so much. The Bat Boys, they just hold boys, such a special place. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they fly at you, Bat Boys? Bat Boys. <laughs> yeah i i love them i love them the whole like vowing to protect like when they're like with my life like Mm -hmm. only in fantasy novels so 
They make it to Highburn. And the vibes are already off, people. And we like good vibes on this podcast. And I'm just saying, from the get-go, this whole thing is off. We know some shit's about to go down. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we get the black water, the barren lands. It feels old. And I love the description. Quote, like a spider that had been waiting in its web for a long, long time. What is it with fucking fantasy authors and their obsessions with spiders? Honestly. <laughs> Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, uh, SJM in like of both of the series. Yeah, Throne of Glass. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Too many spiders. I do not like spiders. They're like the one thing in life that I'm actually, I have like an irrational fear. Snakes don't really bother me, also, but spiders do. Um, see, okay. To give a little insight into my life, Amber, uh, I, I refuse to kill bugs. I like refuse. I, I will not kill bugs. There is a spider living in our vehicle right now that I, I can't catch him and let him go. I've named him Max. Um, and Ben and Max don't get along. Ben keeps threatening to kill Max, and I'll be very sad if Ben kills Max because I'm not okay with people killing bugs. Like, there was a black widow in our apartment last year when we were in Arizona, and I was like, it's fine, we'll just catch him and let him go. And everyone thinks I'm fucking crazy for that, but honestly, I cannot, I I can't kill, I, I just, I don't, as much of a raging bitch I can be sometimes, um, when it comes to my sweet little baby animals, especially insects that everyone likes to kill, I feel very strongly about not killing them and letting them live happy, happy little lives. Even if it means you're going to threaten to crawl over me when I'm driving. Um, if, yeah. Anyway, I thought Amber I literally to- saved a fruit fly from her alcoholic beverage when I saw her with my margarita. Year. We watched well, this drunk dummy, ass fruit fly. <laughs> Amber gave that fruit fly the best moments. It did. You gave it the best moments of its life, though. I'm listen, I really Boo. I support you. I support you until it's poisonous things that can hurt you. Then I'm like, eh, if you aren't gonna kill it, at least get it outside of your home. Like you yeah. gotta get it out. Which I always um, do. I always take it out of my home. I just it sometimes it takes me much longer to actually catch it because some of those little critters are pretty quick and yeah they're spiders they don't are. understand because most humans 99 percent of humans want to kill them they don't understand that i'm just trying to help them <laughs> they think you're the bad guy they, they don't the know they don't you know. need to give them a speech <laughs> all right well <sighs> yes listeners amber is our magic zoologist as i like to refer to her she's I am. You have a, a beautiful and pure love of animals. I'm I'm here to I support it again, like I said, until they're poisonous and scary. Then I'm like, eh, <laughs> maybe they gotta go. Whatever's <laughs> given to me, it's fine. But I grew up in the South where like everything is poisonous and, and basically everything is a swamp and everything wants to kill you. So True. any I listeners from Minnesota. the South? <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Minnesota and I would like when I was little, I loved snakes. I loved snakes when I was little. Um, and I would like, like at my dad's farm, I would like chase after garden snakes and I've like, I've gotten bit by like multiple snakes when I was young and I was like, it's fine. 
Because it's Minnesota. Nothing's poisonous. Like in the South, I, I would probably be dead. <laughs> Everything's poisonous. You would be. be you would. Yeah. I was going to say, anyone who grew up in the South knows. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them uh, water moccasins and them their brown recluses and uh, black widows. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> so, Cassian reveals to Farah he's been to Highburn twice and he hated every moment of his time at this godforsaken place. So, again, not good vibes. If our boy Cass Cass doesn't like it, we don't jive with it. So, no. <laughs> then we see Highburn's castle. Crumbling and bone-colored. And all I have to say is it's probably bone-colored because I'm sure it's built of, off the bones of, like, all the enemies and slaves and shit. Like, he just seems like that kind of sadistic person that would do that. For sure. Oh, yeah. So, Farah, Az, and Cass have to meet more at this, like, tiny door by the water because they can't winnow in because the wards would just take too long to break through. And meanwhile, this book is whispering to Farah. Take me home. And the first time I read this, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Something bad is about to go down. If this, if the creepy ass book feels like it's at home, we are not welcome here. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> bad. Bad, 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 bad. Oh my god. Bad. <laughs> Farah can feel the cauldron. Remember, Farah is made just like the cauldron is. And This is how she describes the cauldron. And I'm like, we don't want to fuck with it. (laughs) Ancient, cruel, without allegiance to anyone but itself. And this cauldron is tugging on her and drawing her to it. I mean, this is like Horcruxes, right? We've talked about the connection to magical objects. Yeah, this is some like dark arts shit. (laughs) Mm-hmm. so i also just want to take a moment to appreciate how we get to see asriel in action because up to this point we don't really we haven't experienced much of as and in general in the books like we don't really get a lot he doesn't really get featured a lot which is why we hope that he gets his own book because i think he's just a very complex and interesting character but we get to see like his recon skills his shadow skills he's so handy i mean He's the reason this whole thing is being executed perfectly, right? He's the spy master. And he's planned this heist to a T. It's incredible. So they make their way down the corridors. (laughs) They make their way down the corridors. And the book at this point just sighs. And it says, home. And they enter a room. And atop a small dais sits the cauldron. And that is where we end this week. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Holy shit. And also, look at this cauldron. I truly like the fact that this whole heist has been so easy should like tip us off, right? As readers, like, 
Yeah. If Highburn's as ancient as smart as I say he is, something's not right. <laughs> nope. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, my big idea that I picked up from this week was really just a general, like, betrayal and revenge, right? We get betrayed by the queens. Mm-hmm. So, the youngest queen betrays her sisters and then they in turn pay her back by skewering her on a lamppost and the queens have betrayed our inner circle by disclosing Valaris's location to Hybert. so we learn that these queens have been actually working with our big baddie this entire time yikes and Farah gets ultimate revenge yeah Farah gets ultimate revenge on the adder which was a huge payoff i love this moment for her and all her burning Mm -hmm. rage absolutely she deserves that it is i think there's a lot of depth but behind the betrayal and revenge kind of theme that happens here because it's you know it's multifactorial with kind of everyone involved you know the queen's the queens play a big part in everything that's happening and and the fact that they chose to use the information that was presented to them in a very peaceful manner to ignite this horrible act i mean i i mean that is the ultimate betrayal they reese thought okay the the risk of valaris becoming known is worth it to gain their trust and get the second half of this book. Well, they got the second half of the book. But it's it's that kind of that conundrum that comes up over and over again of was it worth it? Sure, we got the second half of the book, we cracked the code. Now we know what we need to nullify the cauldron, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge, right? Mhm. But we're still debating, was it worth the lives of the people of this wonderfully peaceful city that we have, we've kept the peace here for centuries? Was it worth it? Was that betrayal and and revenge worth it? Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, the fact that I feel like the whole time, looking back on this now, it's like the queens knew. It's like they were just trying to get information from from them, right? They're like they already so have their minds nasty. made. Nasty. I know they get what's coming to like, them for sure. They're okay, and and the audacity. If you look back on the interactions we've had with the queens thus far, minus the queen that is now dead, uh, all the other yeah. queens Our- <laughs> literally came to those meetings, probably knowing this shit. They they already knew what what side they were going to team with. And they came into those meetings and they had the audacity to shit on Reese for right. him being cruel and awful and having this demeanor and persona of being the, the big bad high lord. And and literally they used that as leverage and as a, a manipulative tactic to get information on his city. That he is spent centuries protecting. Yeah. And they just fucked it all up. <laughs> Fucking humans. We're the worst. I don't know. 
I ask myself oh, that question oh, oh. every God, day. It just ticks me off. It just really ticks me off. And then it just makes you realize, like, Reese, again, to second what you said earlier, for those of you that want to stand Tamlin, I just, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. I'll fight you. I'll fight you. <laughs> those Reese, are fighting words. Reese is so wholesome and wonderful. Yeah, he has to make some bad decisions, but everyone in power always does. Yeah, and it's, those decisions and it's, are never easy. Yeah, and you have to make the decision. There's never a good decision. It's it's what's the best bad decision to make in this situation, right. and that's what Reese always has to make. Yes, I know. I feel like that's just the story of his life, and. Yeah, we've talked about the moments that we are uncomfortable with with Reese or things we didn't like, but I feel like that comes with every person in general, right? There's always something that you don't like or you wish was different. But yeah, I think overall, yeah, I love them. I've been surprised at the amount of like hate I've seen towards that, like on social media lately, like a lot of unpopular opinions that people share. Yeah, and that's the one, uh, like, it's okay whatever it's fine if you don't like reese but if you're if it's because you love tamlin i just i cannot understand that and i i cannot support that decision that's the yeah. one thing that i'm like we cannot be non-judgmental about on our podcast yes. and, and yeah. honestly we, we all have red flags it just depends if your red flag is a deal breaker or not um is your red flag uh, abuse then that's Definitely must, something we cannot condone. Deal breaker. Um, yeah. On a, on a completely different note, if you are looking for a really fun card game to play, uh, I highly recommend looking up the game Red Flags. It's called Red Flags, the game of oh terrible dates. And it is hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. So what the premise of the game is, is everyone gets five cards. And what you do is you pick two of your cards to create your perfect date for whoever the judge is. So, uh-huh. Hannah, if you were the judge, I would pick two of my cards to exemplify what I think your perfect date would be. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, I, I pick my two cards. Everyone at the table picks their two cards except for you, obviously, because you're the judge. You get to decide who your perfect date is going to be. So, it's kind Ooh. of like on Shrek where they're like, contestant number one. And so you have, like, right, all of your contestants. So you have your perfect dates, right? And then the people that you're playing with, if you're the judge, everyone else, we get, you you get five cards of, like, your perfect date, and then you get, like, three card, three red flag cards. Mm-hmm. And you get to pick one of your red flag cards to put on the person to your left's perfect date. Mm-hmm. So, for me, like, for me, I would put, like, um, I'm trying to think of two of them that I've had. So, like, my perfect date for you would be, like, um, exclusively reads and exemplifies his sexual escapades <laughs> via fantasy <laughs> romance and owns a winery. Right? Yes. That's my, per- okay. that's my perfect date for you. But then... Mm-hmm. 
like Riley could put a red flag on mine that says something like, um, like choose his toenails for breakfast. (laughs) Oh my God. Like something disgusting. And, and based on all of the, all of the dates that you have, you have to choose who your perfect date would be, even with the red flags. I love that. That is so, so creative. It is such a fun party game. Again, it's called Red Flags, the game of terrible dates, and it's absolutely hilarious. And just talking about like Tamlin and Reese, like, yes, they all have red flags. Tamlin just has mm. has deal breaker red flags, where Reese has mm-hmm. red flags that I fully acknowledge but still accept him for who he is with the red flags and all. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> So that's where Agreed. I'm at. That's where I'm that's at. That's where we're at. <laughs> so, I think that's that wraps it up for I this think, episode. I think we've wrapped it up. Yeah, we have. So, next week, you want to make sure you read chapters sixty-two through sixty-five to be prepared for our next episode. Keep in mind, after this episode, we only have two episodes left of Mist and Fury. Amber and I will be taking a brief. I don't know, two week hiatus. We'll we'll announce it as we get closer how long mm-hmm. it will be. We're gonna take a little hiatus. Um, so just be mentally prepared for that. Thank you so much for choosing to be a part of our book club. A special shout out to those who are Patreon members. We appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at House of Wind Pod. As always, feel free to email us your theories, burning questions, or anything about the previous or following few chapters at Podcast at gmail.com. This information can all be found in the show notes. We will talk to all of you next week. Taste money. <laughs>